Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Honest Field Guide podcast, a weekly show dedicated to winning in entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Ginger Birkenbuehl. I'm the CEO of Burt Creative, a leadership, brand strategy, and visual identity agency dedicated to helping scale brands and assist with their adaptability with the market. On my show, you get to eavesdrop in on intimate conversation with business leaders and inspired entrepreneurs designed to give you tips and strategies so your own business can thrive. Subscribe and join me each week for laughter, inspiration, and honest stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to my show, The Honest Field Guide Podcast. I am Ginger Birkenbuehl. You could be anywhere in the world right now online, but you are choosing to listen to my show. So I want to thank you for being a subscriber and for tuning into The Honest Field Guide Podcast. So, hey, folks, it is official. I have gone down the digital currency rabbit hole. (laughs) Okay. I mean, and I haven't done it via my most hated phrase, Bitcoin. No, I'm not looking up Bitcoin. No, I went down the NFT rabbit hole, otherwise known as non-fungible tokens. I am not going to explain in detail what that is. If you want to know what it is, go to Google and type in NFT and you will get a gazillion, gazillion, gazillion definitions for what an NFT is, right? Um, I'm an artist, I'm a creative, I'm a writer, I'm a singer, a songwriter. And the only way I can really make sense of anything in this world, especially this NFT world, is through my divergent thinking lens. So I entered this conversation we're about to have about NFTs because I saw all this amazing digital art and I saw all these people making all this amazing money. And I also was like, oh my God, this is like, this looks like the future to me. This looks like not what we're doing right now. And so I started doing some research and I came across a superstar who I define as a superstar, not a super famous person. We're not talking about superstars in the, in the sense of Hollywood, but someone that to me and to many people is a superstar in the NFT space. So, I mean, have you even heard about NFTs? I mean, honestly, go and take a look right now as you're listening to this conversation Um, because I want you to join me on this journey of confusion. So I could spend a lot of time talking about, you know, what I found and give you advice and what I think you should do, but I'm not going to do that because like I said, I've got a superstar in the digital art world here to talk about WTF is an NFT, right? In, In my research, when I was looking up NFT, I did not find women anywhere near the woman I'm about to talk to and introduce you to that's creating the volume consistency and that's presenting such vibrant creativity and curiosity and confidence as this woman I'm going to introduce you to right now. She is here to talk not only about 
you know, what she's doing in the NFT space, but I really want to understand how she got there because most of us are not there. So this person is Giovanna Sun and she is here. She is a futurist. She's a writer. She's a blockchain advisor, an artist, a curator. She's an owner of several platforms and you can find them on Linktree slash a dub woman. Giovanna is also a specialist in creating and selling NFTs. They are kind of controversial. They're definitely complex and they are now for better or for worse, really taking over what I believe. I believe they're taking over the global art ecosystem. So Giovanna, welcome to my show, The Honest Field Guide Podcast. Hi, Jinja and all the audience. And Jinja, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, you know, I'm just I'm just happy that you're here because I, I need to know I need to know you like you need to be my friend. You live in Brooklyn, which is amazing. It's like my favorite city in the world. I'm so jealous. I love Brooklyn. Um, you know, I could talk all day about all the cool things that are happening in Brooklyn because there's a lot there's a lot of great stuff going on there. But we're really here to talk about you and your genius in the space. But before we get into the actual NFT, you know, I always like to start my conversations on the founder's origin story. Right. So where did you grow up? Were you always curious? Were you on a traditional path as a young kid, like be a doctor or a lawyer? Yeah, well, uh, I was born in Taiwan. So my family is a kind of a traditional. You know, they think about the, the job as like something you work for the bank, <laughs> you know, or something like you, if you're an accountant, lawyer, um, or some other job, or you know, they, they don't think that's a job. So, <laughs> yeah, so it was a l- little bit... Um, frustrated. <laughs> okay, I love this because this is this is pretty typical of a lot of families, right? Where they want first of all, you want your kid to go to college, get a job and make money. You like you just like your vision of an artist is that you're going to be on the street with a tin cup, right? Like or playing guitar or something like that. So, when you were young, were you were you a super artist and if if you weren't able to make art because your parents wanted you to be a quote-unquote banker. How did you manifest your creativity as a child? Uh, I was major in finance and economic in New York because that's something that most of the Asian families think that the kids should, should study. Um, so the, the first year that I took one cinema studies, that was like a European film, Italian film. Oh, by the way, I, I love Italian culture. So that's why I have my name, Giovanna. Oh, so all the students just watch movie, and especially this movie, I, I love it. That was a, like a Fellini's film. It's a really old Italian film. So I changed my major without telling my family. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and it was a like, and they not even notice until that I because that I received my grade. And the other thing is. Uh, I never really have a good grade. Like, like it's always a re- kind of a, like a C average. But when I changed my major to cinema studies, that I I I I just got like a straight eight all the time somehow. <laughs> um, but of course, that I I always struggle for money. Uh, my my family like I'm come from like a middle or low income family and a broken family too. So uh, I have to, but in the meantime, I always, I have to do some part-time job. My first job was, I, I worked for Wendy's, Wendy's at, at Burger when I was uh, 16. 
Um, for most of the kids, they, they still enjoy their time with their family, but I start to work. So uh, I know that money is important. For me, it's not something, it's not like a barrier, but I still uh, do something I like to do, like right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you were really young, if you know, you were on a traditional path because your parents, you know, wanted you to study math and science and, you know, become a banker. How were you able to use your creativity? Did you draw? Did you paint? Did you did you make clothes? Um, did you sketch or how did you, how did you actually make art if you were creative inside of your spirit? Uh, I always use a very simple way. During that time, I, I have some just some marker and the color pencil. So I, I basically, I draw everywhere, even on the table, uh, which of course that, that, that uh, no parents like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, yeah. And somehow like, uh, and then I realized I do have some, um, they call these ADHD means that you could, could not simply focus on one thing. But it's very funny because I couldn't focus on the the study or school or textbook, but I really can focus on art. Did your parents, did they see that? And were they, were they supportive of it or were they still kind of trying to, you know, redirect you to something not artistic? Oh, they yell at me all the time. They, it's it's actually, I don't really have a good memory. It's just that, um, yeah, there's a, it's a not something really, it's not like a good memory. Yeah. And I, and I, and I appreciate that. I think that that is, that's one of the struggles for many artists is that many of us, when we're really little, especially if we're outside of the traditional, you know, box of what you're supposed to be, we don't have the support, which is why your story is so fascinating to me. I'm fascinated by it because you, you still you know, like a phoenix, you rose up above um, something that you couldn't help. I mean, you couldn't help but be an artist, right? So when you when you were younger, did you ever see any artists making any money? I mean, did you have any, any like, did you see any intersection of art and finance? Uh, when I was young, um, I really, I, 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 I just, I read a lot of a comic book, which is not Ooh. even textbook. <laughs> uh, I love yeah, it. especially a, a, like a Japanese comic book. <laughs> um, I also uh, I like to watch cartoon. <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't like study. You know, none of the the thing I like to do that relate to study. <laughs> no wonder I don't have a good grade. It's always a C average or even lower. <laughs> you went to college and you studied what degree, and then you pivoted to film what was your initial area of study i graduated in cinema studies and i um i studied well there was a community college in new york and i went back to taiwan uh so i my first job is a a really big uh, advertising agency yeah this uh, is very funny because uh, i thought that is that was really smooth because uh, most probably I'm, I'm not even intern because most probably a lot of people, they want to get into the bigger agency. They have to just do the intern for one year. Um, it was a full-time job, but I realized that something, something wrong. I, I don't feel like that I can do something for myself. 
Because when you work for a big a uh, big advertising agency, that is everything that is about clients' work. Then you went right into the advertising world from college. I mean, you, first of all, you 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 were you you went to college and studied some kind of finance. You pivoted to. Um, film studies, and then you immediately got a job and you didn't even do an internship. And at that point, and this kind of sounds a little bit like my story, I was working at a large agency as well. It wasn't actually an agency, it was a global consulting firm. And I realized that I, that I could not create my own vision being there. And I left. Talk about that. So you, you worked at the agency and then you decided to, I'm going to make my own art. When I left the agency, I don't really have a I don't have uh, any any goal yet because uh, I was really young. Mm-hmm. So um, um, I really like music, uh, especially indie music. So uh, I I built up a website just uh, introduce uh, people like like some type of music I'm listening to, and uh, I write a lot. Uh, and somehow I one day I received an email from a record company. They say, "Oh, do you want? To, do you think ever think about work for a record company? Do you want to have an interview?" <laughs> and it's just so funny that that. And then I was in the music industry for a few years just because I like to support independent musicians. It's just I love this because. Creative people are strategic thinkers, but they're strategic thinkers in a very different way than somebody who's like crunching numbers and, you know, a data a data analyst, right? I mean, you know, we just take chances and we jump and we do things as long as we're feeling a passion and a love and and, and we're getting our artistic spirit filled up. And, and you went into a, another industry that had nothing to do with what you were doing before and you went and you went for it and you jumped. What were you doing at the record company? Uh, I was an inter- international label manager. I started like uh, only like an A&R, the very basic work. And uh, I just, uh, the, the, my boss keep promoting. And yeah, I have some fun because I got laid off. So I got some pay. So I feel like, oh, so what is the next I want to do? And I, I still, I, I like design. So uh, I, I took some class and also uh, I, I, uh, I got some uh, certificate from interior design uh, and also web design. So uh, I, I just opened a uh, little studio <laughs> and I get some clients. So uh, most of the, uh, uh, I do have a strong art and design background because uh, as all these, these, uh, the creative words, most of the I have experience. <laughs> wow. I mean, it sounds like you were really pretty scrappy in terms of pulling together the vision of, of a creative career and a creative life and a creative trajectory. Did you have help around this or were you really on your own? I mean, did you have somebody that gave you advice and helped point you in the right direction? Or were you just doing lots of research and just following the clues? During that time, not at all. When I was in Taiwan, no one really tell me what to do. It's always something that I, I listen to my own voice. But there is a something that is a probably, I'll say, the, the turning point. Uh, after a few years, uh, I was a little bit tired about the the interior design, the little uh, studio. So uh, I feel like I should go back to New York. 
Of course, that was uh, like uh, 11 years old, uh, years ago. Of course, that I don't have a lot of money to uh, support myself. So, um, I so what made me to make the decisions back to New York because I went to a uh, it's a, like an art show in Taipei, but it's a kind of a private art show. It's only for private collectors go there. Um, I made a collector. Uh, he's a Taiwanese. He's a he. I think he's an entrepreneur. But I haven't really contacted him uh, after <laughs> I moved back to New York. Um, he he just I I say oh I want to go to New York and he said to me and then if you go to New York you should go to Chelsea. And that was the first time I heard the word Chelsea because I do know um, that there's the. That's an art district in New York, and that's some. That's actually Chelsea is a is a like like another Soho. Uh, most of the contemporary artists and gallery there, but I never been there. And he just said to me, he said you should go there. And I I have a storage that I collect a lot of art over there, but uh, you 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 will never regret. You have to go. Somehow, in the meantime, I got a job offer. It was a company, they, they're going to do the Shanghai Export. So they asked me if, if they, they, I want to work for them and uh, they, they can offer me a job work in Shanghai. But somehow I feel like I have to go back to New York. I have to go back to New York, no matter how. <laughs> wow. Wow, I love it. I mean, it's like, it was like screaming for you. It was, it was calling you. Um, you know, a lot of people, they think about, I made this story. No, I didn't make that up. Because no, I believe you. <laughs> it's so dramatic, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I completely believe it. So then you went back to New York and you went to Chelsea. And then what happened? Yeah, that was it. Uh, 11 years ago. I only have two luggage in the 3,000 US dollars. The, the first few years, I only do some part-time job. And there's a one company they hire me for social media, like your Facebook, and I do uh, Twitter, those type. I do have some experience because uh, I I used to be really active on Facebook, but not anymore. But I mean, anyway, so um, uh, I have I, I have my job, like a social media, so I, I manage the posts and the um in the week in the week weekend mm-hmm. i always go to chelsea or the other uh, galleries as well some galleries in uh, williamsburg or lower east side soho upper east side you were going there to you know feed your soul with art or were you actually going to acquire art i just go there to see art um there's a, a lot of opening reception uh, uh especially in chelsea on thursday night and the, most of the they're all open to the public and and during that time i i met a lot of new friends they are like a gallery owners artists curators collectors that opened another door for me so uh, um and i and during that time i still do a lot of uh, really essential work and I, uh, I, uh, I, I apply as a volunteer for affordable art fair uh, for many times that because I try to learn. I want to see how it works. So, you know, like I, a lot of people, they may see now I'm curator because I, I also curate art show, but they did not even know because I really I started from really essential work really essential work. I, you know, when I was a volunteer, I do all type of work, like logistic and some really administrative work. But 
I do make good connections. It sounds like you built a, a like a very vast network, you know, when you returned to New York and we're in Chelsea and you met a lot of people and you really got your you got a, a very deep bench of people that um, maybe at the time, you know, weren't doing the things they're doing right now. Do you feel like the opportunity to network has had an impact on where you are today? I mean, who who did you meet that that helped you, you know, push forward into the spaces you're in now? Or did that not happen until later? I saw to meet a lot of gallery owners. And uh, um, during that time, actually, uh, uh, there's a one friend of mine, he has a art magazines, like online art magazines. So uh, I just uh, I just told these gallery owner because I, I really like some artists. Can I interview your artists? I like to some I to like to write something about it. And of course they say yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just feature their art artists and uh, and they're they they are very happy. So they some sometimes they send me some invitation to those uh, the big art fairs. So a lot of uh, gallery owners they know me. I love it. I mean, I feel like when I when I listen to you talk about this, um, you know, you're doing a lot of writing, and and I did a Google image search of you, and I was astonished because I did not know this, but you have authored several books. Yes. So, I mean, this is... <laughs> People don't know. How do I manage my Oh time? my God. Well, you know, I'm not going to ask you that because I'm a woman and I get it. But, um, you know, you've authored all these books. Do you have a publishing platform? Are you still writing books? Because you, you, you were writing articles about artists. I don't write books anymore. <laughs> I think that that would be my last publish ebooks that those those you you saw. <laughs> well, I mean, talk a little bit about that. So, when did that was that process of writing these books? Was that happening when you were writing articles about artists, or was this later? So, I mean, you you're a writer. You do a lot of content development and content strategy. You just said earlier that you were also creating social media posts. So, it almost sounds like that was kind of your first vision of something that you could be doing as a as a massive career. I mean, how did that happen? You you writing these books? Uh, in the past, I always uh, create some photos, and it's always a little by little that that um, I I didn't. Of course, that I couldn't write like a thirty thousand words at a, in the in the one day. I know some some author they can do that, but it's always for me it's like a little by little. I the 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 longer uh, the novels I just published on Amazon. Uh, actually, there's a. Uh, I already signed to one agency, so uh, they can talk to some movie company. I don't really have to worry. I already finished that part. Um, that that I have to say it about that book because that's the first uh, the long long version uh, story that I wrote. And which book is this? Uh, it's called "Does the Soul Wait." Yep, it's a beautiful cover. Did you design the cover? Yes. Mm-hmm, that's gorgeous. I love it. And that book, actually, I was a finish in Canada because about like uh, two years ago, I was in Canada and I carry my laptop and do some uh, remote work. So I carry everywhere. So I, I just, I, I, I wrote like every day during that time, like little by little, even uh, I, I, I was in the bar at a bar or a coffee shop. <laughs> yes, you are highly, you are extremely, extremely productive. You are an artist that is creating and living and experiencing your life and process in the future. You're not in the past anymore. You're not looking back. You are actually in the future. So somewhere you saw something and you just 
you just jumped right down, just like I did when I was when I found you. I jumped down a rabbit hole, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no bottom. Okay, so early this year, it was a. Uh, I have one of my friends, and he's also he collect my art. He lives he lives in Los Angeles. He's a scientist and a professor. Um, he's also a good friend of mine. And he said, uh, it's actually, I have some idea I can give to you. Uh, you can create some NFT. You can tokenize your art. And I, I still feel like, oh, this is like a foreign language to me. And I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to explain what is an NFT right now, because that will occupy. <laughs> no, and I, and I don't, and I absolutely don't want you to. I said at the very jump, like, you need to go on Google and type in NFT. So uh, uh, he, he gave me some idea. So that's the one called Luna Note Annapoli, because he's an Italian. And that's actually is an Italian song. It's a very famous Italian pop song. And he just say, "Oh, you should do this and that." So I make change. And he also he brought me into one uh, uh, webinar. It's a blockchain and booth. That's uh, the blockchain uh, um, communities in LA. I I went to one of the the founder of Open Seas. Um, they they were the speaker, so I, I and I I got to know the little understanding that oh so I can actually use OpenSea as a marketplace that uh, men and at least my art for sale because I do have some crypto uh, I, I I since the last year I, I buy some crypto so I can, I have a wallet I can link to OpenSea so I start to make my art was that in 2021 or was that 2020 uh, this year. Wow. Oh my goodness. All the stuff I'm seeing online is just from this year. All the, yes. all the, the, yes. the product. You, oh my goodness. My son, um, he actually sold his first NFT on OpenSea. Wow. Congratulations. And, um, he hasn't, yeah, he has an entire, uh, my son has an entire platform that uses the art that's sold on his NFT. He has um, canvas bag, stickers, prints. So you should let your son teach you. <laughs> well, I mean, so here's what actually happened. I set up his NFT, right? He's the artist. I set up his NFT platform. The younger generation, like the really young generation, like my son is 15. One of my sons is 15. I have a 17-year-old and a, and a thir- soon-to-be 13-year-old. They look at all of this, like they look at the metaverse and this is their world. And to them, when you talk about creating for this world, it's not, it's not a process for them. This is just what they do. They just make digital art. Everything they're doing is digital. Now, my oldest son is a you know, classically trained jazz pianist. His work is actually still really living in the world, right? I mean, he's still fully physically in the world because of his performances and him, uh, his recording of his own music. So it's a little bit different for him. But even generally speaking, this digital you know, universe that, that you're a part of and that you're creating for, this is their existence on a daily basis between their gaming that they play you know, with their Roblox, uh, the videos they watch, the, the books they read, the anime characters are interested in. This is their world. They take it for granted. And I'm actually a little bit worried about when they get old enough to make art, they don't seem to care about ownership. They don't care. 
and I don't know what it would take to make them care. Um, it's actually uh, when you create NFTs, already you certify your ownership. That's the whole thing about smart contract, no matter how. Because when you tokenize your, your art, that's, that means uh, this is a unique token and you own this token. And whoever buy your NFT, they can own your tokens and they will they can provide you royalty. So that's the whole thing. So most probably all these marketplaces, uh, the, the creators collect the royalties from collectors. And that can be really good passive income. I'm noticing um, musicians are getting involved in NFTs. And I read an article, an older article, actually, that the Rolling Stone magazine put together. There's a couple of artists that released their singles on NFTs, which I found, which I find amazing. And they made an incredible amount of money, more money than they would have made on digital downloads. Uh, Quincy Jones, uh, he's also, he also he invests in one music NFT company called One Off. Wow. So Quincy Jones is an example of another visionary, future thinking, forward thinking, never living in the past human being, right? I mean, he's always been an inventor of original music and original sound and and seeing things that nobody else can see, which is how I see what you've done. I mean, I feel like you see things that many people can't see and you're creating in that in that world that most people don't even know exists. And that's what's fascinating, um, not only about you, but about the NFT world in general. And I really hope that more artists decide to just start making, you know, art and making NFTs. If you go on Google right now and type in your name, you have the the volume of work that you have on Google is astonishing. You have books. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I don't know. I haven't really researched my for a while. Oh my goodness! Have you not? Have you not done this? <laughs> have you done? Th- you have got to. <laughs> I mean, listen. You have to type your name in Google and go to images. So for those for those that don't know, Google Images is the number three search engine in the world behind YouTube and behind okay. Google. It's a different <laughs> algorithm that, that pulls up Google images from you know my my understanding. So, you know, I put your name in quotes and I type, you know, typed it in. You know, when I go on the Google, it's like it's breathtaking, it's colorful, it's dynamic, there's movement, there's books, there's words, there's articles, there's headshots, there's just there's so much going on. Uh, there's a lot of um, images that you've created yourself, your own artwork. And I'd like to understand so you jump down this hole and you're doing you're, you're starting to create this artwork. You're relearning all of your digital technology skills, and you are getting a little bit of coaching um, from a really good friend of yours. At this point, now that you see something, and you may not understand, you may not understand it because a lot of us don't quite understand NFTs, right? But you're still creating the work. What made you keep going? What is the place that you're saying this is actually real? I'm going to create and create and keep moving forward in this NFT space? So my friend, he inspired me. He also, uh, he really support me. He, he, he's my uh, fan art painter. He, he collected my paintings in the past and I believe him and he's a pioneer. He's a scientist. And the, in the meantime, in February, I, I met a group of uh, art uh, New York artists 
uh, they are well-established artists. They have all these uh, the blue chip gallery represented uh, Upper East Side and Hamptons. So during that time, they have a, um, I somehow I jo- also joined the movement. There's a special genre called Take Presionism. Take Presionism is a combination of a technology and expressionism. Because we know, uh, like in New York, we we like these uh, uh, abstract expressionism, like Jason Pollock. So uh, and also there's a is a coincident. Coincidentally, um, my art is always uh, like surrealism and abstract. I, I really like abstract painting. I feel like, oh, so this, you know, like we we definitely we speak the same language. Um, so uh, um, so they they are like a pioneers, curator, and uh, they teach in the art school. So. Uh, uh, they have a several curation. I joined the NFT now, and that's featured by Artnet, which I think is really flatter. Especially, in I really I'm not like the blue chip artists yet, but they like my art. And uh, so, wait, did you did you create the text expressionism? Because I was actually going to ask you about that. No, the founder is a Colin Gober. Um, okay. Yeah, he's a East Hampton artist. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, actually, you can go to Take Pressure Needs and website. And we have a salon virtual meeting uh, twice a month. Uh, uh, we, we share our techniques. We help each other and uh, we try to get exposure and let the people know this is a new genre we're going to push. And so speaking of that, you are one of very few women in the space, um, from what I can tell. What is it like you being a woman and and now rolling into being an expert on NFTs because you have a podcast, people are asking to speak to you like me, for example. Um, you know, what is it like being one of the few women that can be on a panel to talk about this? And, you know, how do we get more women and girls to not be afraid and to, you know, jump down your rabbit hole the way you have? I mean, most most women and girls may not have a friend that will tell them, I want to help you build an entire platform of NFTs. And I want to help you invest in blockchain technology. I mean, a lot of us don't have friends like that, but I want more women to be involved in this space because this is the future. I think, of course, uh, you have to build your own community. The first person who collect my art, that's a person I met on Clubhouse. Even I never really ask him <laughs> because uh, um, really no one knows that I, I create NFT. And, and and the other thing is if I tell, tell my friend, you know, you know what, I'm doing NFT now. And they say, what the hell? <laughs> what are you talking right. about? So, but uh, I, I went to one clubhouse room and there was a host that he's the only person I'm, you know, I, I, I tell him that I am doing some NFT and he say, Oh, it's actually, I'm crypto ambassador. Send me the link. I want to take a look. I think clubhouse that really helped because uh, there's a lot of uh, NFT collectors, communities, artists, uh, they really active. And when you join mm-hmm. some room that you can feature your art and tell your story and the, uh, also, Twitter. That that I actually I don't use the Twitter for a long time. Um, but uh, ever since uh, I post something that also I help others to uh, retweet their work, um, I get a lot of attraction. So it sounds like um, you know. Again, I just had a conversation today about this that because of the pandemic and because of technology um, and 
you know, blockchain and the transformations happening in, in the financial world, you know, globally speaking, um, you know, it's, it makes it more difficult for women to get in the space because they weren't in there when we were in person. So it sounds like one of your pieces of advice would be to, you know, take the networking that women would normally have in terms of their in-person gathering and really, really, really go hard on places like Clubhouse and Twitter and other community, digital community conversations. I mean, there's really, I don't know how else to do it. You know, to your point, we're not going to conferences anymore. We're not going to New York to the blockchain conference where there's, you know, thousands of people there. We're really doing all this online and you just have to kind of work a little bit harder when you're a woman in the space. I mean, there's hardly any female ec economists out there, right? That can even help explain some of this. You, you need to be productive. Just do it. Because uh, I, I, yeah, I remember the several times I, when I was in the clubhouse room, there's always uh, some, well, I won't say men or women, you know, they say, oh, because uh, I'm parents or I'm decent dad, so I couldn't, I don't have time to do it. But I, I know a lot of uh, successful artists, they also, they have a family, um, also their struggle. And especially uh, as a creator NFT, it's really, it's not that hard because you don't need to have a studio. You may use your phone. I know some artists, they sell well, even just use their mobile phone. What is the best tool that you can use to make an NFT? Like first, okay, first of all, you know, one of the things you've said a lot is you have a lot of your own artwork that was traditional art. So you were already an artist. You were already painting and drawing and you were already writing books and doing a lot of like a huge volume of content. But beyond that, if you pivot to creating digital art, I mean, what is that? Is that Photoshop? Um, is that everything that I, I joined is a take pressure museums movement um, as all these pioneers that they, they share all the tools we can use. So there's a several apps that I use. I use this uh, called uh, Bazaart, B-A-Z-A-A-R-T. That's uh, if you have an iPhone, you can find it. And I use a premier version. Uh, there's also this uh, app called Pixel Motions uh, Filmer, F-I-L-M-R. So I love that because the barrier to doing this is very low. And I think that's kind of why I find your story particularly interesting. Um, you know, taking out the fact that you already have creative vision, you already understand how to bring what's in your mind to the world, right? Whether it's traditional or digital, you already have that piece on lock, but to actually make the art itself, the barrier is very low. So there's, there's really no reason why any artist should not be trying to make an NFT, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to make a case to artists. Don't pass this up because it's here and it's real and, you know, don't also don't get distracted by, you know, people that are selling art for like 150,000 or a million dollars a pop. It's, it's not even about that. I'm looking at your platform, Giovanna, and you have, you're producing art at a clip and you're selling art at a clip. Um, you know, you're, you're all in all the time. You're putting out content on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, you're sharing links to buy it. You're letting people know which one sold and how much it sold for. 
it seems like the tools are all available. So I don't know. I think maybe the barrier is just that the, the, the conversation around what is an NFT is so confusing and so complicated and it's scary because it's sort of in that cryptocurrency Bitcoin world that it's preventing some artists from trying to take advantage of it. And I think if people look at you and follow what you're doing, they can have an easier transition to understanding how to bring this to life in their own in their own creative spaces so that they're not left behind when this really does blow up and become the primary uh, way that artists make money, because that's how I see NFTs. I see that's that's the way it's going to go. Um, and the other thing is, I think it's a consistency that I just create NFT every day. I spend 12 hours per day, more than 12 hours even. Like these days, because the gas fee is so high, I have to wake up in the early morning, like every two hours to check the gas fee so I can accept the offer. Right. And just for, for people that don't know what the gas fees are, you're going to have to go on Google and type in gas fees and you can find out more about gas fees because it's a it's a real thing. They can be very high. It's always something you should do it. Just just do it. Like if you don't do it, no one will ever see your art, no matter you know how great you are. You have to just do it and do it every day. So most of people, they know NFT because of Beeple. Beeple, um, he sold the, these artwork called every day because uh, in the past 10 years, he could create NFT every day, no matter how. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, since 10 years ago, you can think about that. I think I feel like this is a lot of artists actually, they don't know, you know, like, like if you want to, become a successful you want to you want people know you you have to do it every day because uh, really a lot of time when collectors they collect your art they want to become part of a journey they want to support you you know uh, so this is why when, when we go to some contemporary art show and i often hear you know you know what is this it's a banana on the wall or this is a piece of a paper why people want to collect this and why it can sell like a million it's just because all the collectors they see your story they see your journey they know you devote yourself into art they want to support you they can be the legacy this beca- it can become the history speaking of legacy and history and in ownership Recently, I've been on a few conversations about the IP space and NFTs, and I'm not a lawyer and neither are you. Do you have any concerns over when you make a piece of art? Because, you know, ownership in art is, has always been an issue, whether you're talking about music or visual art or fashion. There's so much theft um, um, from large brands stealing, you know, independent, you know, people's ideas to contracts which are written very poorly for musicians and they sell away all their digital rights and they didn't know and things like that. When you create your artwork, what are you thinking in terms of ownership? And I know with NFTs, you can buy it and then sell it and then sell it and sell it and keep selling it. So are you, is that ever stopping you or how are you protecting your own intellectual property? Okay. So there's actually, there's a two things. Uh, one thing is that I source a lot of a uh, public domain. Uh, that's open source data from Metropolitan Museum of Art. So I created this Transutopia series, uh, which uh, everything's there. Which is amazing. Oh my gosh. It is so <laughs> absolutely. I mean, my Transutopia, you know, it reimagines the new world and the future. It is 
It is so gorgeous and so shocking. Um, and uh, yeah, and the other type of art which I learned from Take Bridge Nisian is a is a called uh, AI generate that we use some software. So we use a ge- geometric mathematic, uh, which of course it, it won't is it, not some something that it, you won't have a copyright problem because it's all like AI generate and it's each one is unique and we just add it and manipulate with the with the colors and uh, um, um, make like a different type and styles uh, I don't well me myself I don't it's actually I'm thinking about re- really like a decentralized I don't really care like if people they they do some derivative work based on my idea, and also uh, I joined this uh, Take Presidential uh, this movement. It's a very interesting that Colin, he's a founder. He also say he's, he he actually he can register this work Take Presidential because it it might be a big genre. Who knows? Uh, but he said rather he just say if you think. You, you are the artist that you express your inner feeling and you use the top technology and the app or those the tools that you are a tech professionist. So you, you, we don't really need to, um, we, we don't really need to give, give a copyright. You, you can actually Google it. It's, it's, it's already in the encyclopedia, Wikipedia. I mean. <laughs> Once you create the art though, and it sells and you make the money and then someone resells it. I mean, where, where are you getting, do you, are you concerned at all about not getting a royalty on a resale or are you getting any benefit from, from that at all? Well, well, yes and no, it, it depends. Like, of course, if it's, a, it's something like an institution, let's say some bank or some like big institution, if they use my art, I, I definitely I will ask money. <laughs> but I don't really, I, I don't, you know, I don't like to be a bully to to the minority and people who really they they have a financial difficulty. But I do concern about the the, the cyber security. So if people they hack to my account, steal my uh, NFT, that's something I am I'm. I'm I, I was all concerned. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of gray area around the legal protections of NFTs. I understand that there's also, um, I don't think there's a lot of clarity in terms of who inherits your NFTs, you know, down the road, right? So you have children or siblings or whatever, you anybody in your family, um, you know, who's actually in control of it. I know this is a gray area because this is, this is, this is the future. This is being in the future that is not determined. And there's no path in the past to even help us understand, you know, the right way to protect artists intellectual property. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like designing a car where the shape of the car and the way it performs and all those things, right? Think about, uh, like I I I have a, I list my uh, NFT also I collect some music NFT. Uh, that platform is called Our Sound. They already figure out the royalty, so you can choose the co-creator, so everyone can get the royalty, and it's a pretty transparent. So there's a take of course the technology can solve the problem, especially the whole thing about blockchain is a smart contract. So everything, yeah, you, you can figure that out. But that also does something deal with the technology. It's like a deep tech. 
So are you, with all of this information, um, you're finding, you're still finding a space to create art at the same time, you're still learning. It's like a parallel path, right? I mean, you're art making art, you're learning. Thankfully you have people near you and around you and your network that can give you advice and guidance that seem to be protecting some aspects of your life so that you still have the time to create. You know, this is very different than you picking up a paintbrush and like stretching a canvas and, you know, making art there. This is a completely different process that not everyone can manage. Do you ever have people not actually believing you're an artist because you're making NFTs versus painting on canvas? Oh, I think uh, a lot of time, well, they, they don't have a question on me, maybe because I already uh, curator and artist. But uh, I, a lot of time, um, I know a lot, especially for young uh, emerging artists, they just jump into this uh, new industry. There's, uh, I, I still remember early this year when I joined Clubhouse in January that a lot of uh, gallery owners and a lot of even final artists, they say, I know, I know, what is this? I, I can't believe that people will buy it. This is all JPEG. And this is not being, and I don't see this as an R. Um, and they they change somehow. Um, you, you don't really need to argue with them. and Because it's actually, when I start to create my first NFT, I'm even questioned that, that you know, who's going to buy this? <laughs> and, and, and it's really sell. Did you sell it right away? Uh, I think, yeah, within the same week. Wow. <laughs> I'm not even really, I, I don't promote myself and I don't really have a lot of followers on Twitter. like, like you Well, you know, they always say it's not the quantity of followers, it's the quality of followers that counts, right? I mean, you could have, yeah, true, you know, two, three true people. Best. Yeah, that are just like big time. True people, true Yeah, best. I mean, don't, I, I, I don't get that kind of thing twisted. I don't, I don't, when I see people with a million or two million followers, if you're not Beyonce, then I'm kind of wondering, like, why do you have so many followers? Right. I mean, like, he's like, I mean, so I'm, I don't believe in that. There's so much more we could talk about related to this. Um, I hope that, listen, everyone needs to follow and, and, and really experience Giovanna's artistic vision. Um, she is doing so much incredible work and, you know, just thinking about her journey from, a childhood where as most, a lot of child, a lot of children, this happens to a lot of us, you know, where your family wants you to be a doctor or a lawyer or someone, a banker. And she was an artist from a very young age. And, and, and look at how she has transformed her entire life and her entire experience to become an artist herself. She's also helping other artists become artists too, and to bring them into the future with her. Giovanna's son is in the future. And I want everybody to understand that she is not looking back. She's not in the past. She is so far ahead of where many of us are. And so this is why I want you all to follow her on all of her platforms, which I will share in the show notes. She's got amazing art. If you don't want to wait, you know, to read all the show notes, I encourage you to search her up on Google search on images as well as YouTube and see what you find. There's a lot of information out there. That's how I found her. She did not find me. And she jumped out at me as a, you know, a bright diamond and a sea of 
of what I feel like is confusion and definitely a sea of, you know, male dominated spaces. And she's holding her own and really, really, really kicking ass as far as I'm concerned. Thank you everyone for listening to the show, the Honest Field Guide podcast. I'm Ginja. I'm Giovanna. And thank you so much for coming in. We'll see you next time. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carol. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only 